Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Bobby Martin. How's it going? How's it going, guys? So what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, a lot's going on. I haven't been too much plugged into the news, Robbie, but I have just been seeing some crazy stuff come across my my feed in the last couple weeks that I uh, compiled for this. And I just, I'm excited to get your take on it because you always have a really good take. Um, so let's just jump into this because later in the podcast, we're going to interview a friend of the show, Ryan Wentz, about his little visit from the cops over a tweet, uh, which has been a pretty interesting story and seeing how it unfolded over the last couple of days. So we have an exclusive interview with him. But for now, let's go over a couple headlines, Robbie, starting with Vice President Kamala Harris recently coming to Oakland, where Media Roots was founded, talking about Biden's infrastructure project, where she said something really interesting, uh, kind of a slip of the tongue, if you will, about war. She said, quote, for years and generations, wars have been fought over oil in a short matter of time. They will be fought over water. Unbelievable admission, kind of, about, first of all, that wars are literally fought over oil, right? That's kind of a trope that was prominent during the Bush administration. And uh, it's just kind of that unspoken reality that capitalism necessitates the constant expansion and accumulation of resources around the world. And oil is number one, right? That's why the U.S. targets Venezuela. That's why it's targeting Iran. Oil, oil, oil. And soon, because of climate change, I mean, the military's already drafted up plenty of plans talking about how water is going to be uh, a, essentially like a finite resource that's going to need more military intervention. You know, we can look at something like the Sahara Desert in Africa, a lot of the mass migration going on and exodus of refugees is all kind of stemmed around the erosion of, of water supplies. So this is a very real thing. And Mike said something funny. He was like, we should take this as a threat. <laughs> like, this is like her, like being like, soon, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> totally. it's just amazing, you know, that these people just kind of talk about this in such a flippant way when it's like, no, you are representing the most mass murdering genocidal entity on the planet that actually does wage war over resources. So it's just very interesting to just kind of say this so casually. It is. And I'm wondering why, if it was just like something that she thought was like, she just sort of went off script and said something she thought was like an interesting fact she learned from some think tank advisor that's like in the Biden administration, or if this is like something that was like pre scripted, it's a very odd thing to say in general. <laughs> I don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it sounds very like dystopian sci-fi, you know, like that we're going to be fighting wars over water. I mean, if that's the case, then I feel like, uh, if, if we're going to be fighting wars over water, then we're might as well just like nuke the whole planet. Cause that's really fucking <laughs> stupid. And that we should, I mean, fuck everything. <laughs> Give up now. <laughs> yeah. And soon we'll be fighting war over sand. Like that's yeah. even something that like, <laughs> or war like over literally, air it's just or like what? whatever, like space balls. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Kamala Harris, she made me sit and stop traffic for like 30 minutes. Um, when she came and did this speech. I was just dropping off someone at the airport, at the Oakland airport, 
And on my way back, I was basically stuck behind like a blockade that I first I thought was just like the California Highway Patrol or like Oakland Police. And the more I looked at these like cop cars and the cops, they looked weird. Like they didn't, they were wearing like different colored outfits, had like gold helmets. And I get, I don't know if they were Secret Service or really who they were, but um, I kept, you know, I could just kept eyeballing the situation while in stop traffic. And then I saw on the rooftop, sort of on this building on the way back from the airport, there was all these like guys on the roof. They looked sort of like SWAT guys. And I was like, oh, they're probably like snipers. Like one of the guys had like binoculars and he was sort of looking at the road. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just, I, I didn't realize what was going on at first. So I looked on Twitter and I searched for, um, you know, Oakland Airport. And it was like Kamala Harris is, is here. And then she somehow, her little motorcade also managed to stop um, a whole giant section of 880. So even just getting on the freeway, trying to get home, like to try to go around this part of the blockade was like a waste of time. So I basically had to take surface streets and like weave all the way back through Oakland to get home um, because they blocked off like a bunch of the central arteries of Oakland just because she got there. It was pretty, I never seen that happen before. Yeah. Living in DC, I saw that happen quite frequently. It was like every time Obama went and got a fucking Slurpee at Seven Eleven, it would just be like all hell would break loose. Like the entire city just shuts down. It's just like, all right. That's <laughs> like, hilarious. No one's getting to work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fucked up, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you want to talk um, about Hunter Biden's PR tour? I don't even know what the hell this is. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no. He's getting what, a bunch of tour? like... Um, he is he doing like a Kimmel. porn circuit? Yeah, he went on Jimmy Kimmel. He went on... Um, what? Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. He also got interviewed, like a sit-down interview, I think was... I want to say ABC News. Um and he uh, wrote a new memoir book that I guess is just all about, it's just all airing out all of his dirty laundry about his crack addiction, um, his sex addiction, uh, all that stuff. And uh, he also in the book describes uh, not ever remembering uh, the stripper that he met and impregnated. He actually says in the book that he doesn't even recognize her, like when she accused him of being the father of her child. It sounds like something Trump would say, just like, I have no idea who this person is. Like, Yeah, it sounds like a lawyer probably told them what to say or something. Mm -hmm. That's a weird, I mean, that's completely not believable. I mean, I think they already did like a DNA paternity test or whatever, and it proved that he is the father. Um, so it's not just like some random person accusing him with no proof because he pays child support, I think, or he owes child support. And he's actually been behind on a lot of that as well for someone who spends... Uh, what? How much was it per month on a on a house in the Hollywood Hills to rent? Oh it was yeah, like ten thousand. Like yeah, yeah. I think even more than that. Ten thousand is actually the on the low side. Yeah, I mean, for someone who can afford that, who's not paying his child support fees, it's pretty fucking gross. Um, well, I got that Barisma paycheck that yeah. probably extends quite a bit. I mean, I don't know how much fine crack costs, but um. Or the parchment paper that he uses for his art. But yeah, yeah, I mean that. Japanese. Ink. That was a pretty. That was a pretty stipend. Yeah, and he also was asked about that too, and they sort of let him just wiggle out of it and give a really terrible, nonsensical answer. Um, I think even Jimmy Kimmel brought it up, and then they sort of deflected to making fun of, you know, Donald Trump Jr. because he is like really mockable because he's you know mm -hmm. he just seems like borderline. <laughs> <It just> seems... <laughs> 
Like he was, he was like fucked mentally up. disabled. <laughs> yeah. Like fit, like he has like severe brain damage. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. was the topic of like a quarter of that interview with Hunter Biden and Jimmy Kimmel. And, and in the, uh, I think it was the ABC interview. He was asked where this laptop came from. And he, again, seems like he had a lawyer coach him or somebody coach him to give an answer, which was something like, well, you know, I've heard about this. It could be Russian disinformation. Um, it could be a hacker. But, uh, you know, someone also could have gotten a hold of my laptop and it could have been from a laptop repair shop. So he, like, leaves he leaves that possibility open. He also says it could be Russian disinformation. But he's not just straight up saying it's Russian disinformation. He's just like, yeah, it could have been from that laptop. So dumb. So I mean, dumb. which is interesting because that lends some validity to the idea that it did come from this laptop repair shop as absurd as that initial explanation seemed. I mean, maybe he, what he did, but that's still, it's still odd how it got into the hands of Rudy Giuliani and those people like that part's really weird. You know, that Hunter Biden would take it to a laptop repair shop or the guy would just like immediately send it to like Rudy Giuliani. Like that just, (laughs) I mean, that seems weird. So something is missing from that story, obviously. But I guess that's pretty much it on Hunter Biden. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Trump crashing the wedding at uh, Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, so we haven't heard much from Trump, but what we have heard out of him is just total babyish nonsense. I mean, he's been doing the media rounds trying to downplay January 6th, of course. I mean, they've pretty much rewritten history, you know, like... The narrative has completely changed, even from like when it first happened. You even had Mitch McConnell uh, saying this is like abhorrent and all this stuff and that Trump definitely incited it. And then now it's just like everyone has completely changed the narrative. Trump is out there saying it was completely chill. Um, He said that the rioters posed zero threat. They were actually hugging and kissing the cops. Um, And... It's just hilarious, you know, like saying that they weren't armed. None of them had guns. I love that. It's just like so it's just so, so funny. And then, of course, it just goes on and on to say, like, anything that did happen was the fault of left wing extremists and Antifa. Those were the real capital rioters. That narrative has somehow stuck with the majority of Republican voters or close to the majority of Republican voters. It's just a complete blanket denial of reality. And it's just so fascinating. I mean, I obviously I understand why Trump is doing it because he doesn't want to be prosecuted, even though I never thought that was even remotely a possibility. But I think that he's just so mad because he thinks that's what cemented his uh, defeat, you know, and he he's pissed, obviously. But it's just so funny that 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 has just somehow permeated and like lasting permeance that that narrative is just now changed forever. And it's like we just all kind of forgot, you know. How crazy that was. Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's really locked in now, especially because people like Tucker and even Glenn Greenwald, of course, are pushing this idea that um, what happened at the Capitol building was simply just not really big deal because the people that the media said died as a result of the Capitol riots, actually, most of them didn't, according to the autopsy reports that came out, that only, I guess, Ashley Babbitt but the, see, the other person, they thought she got trampled to death, but I guess in the autopsy it says she died of amphetamine overdose. Uh, it came out. So 
a lot of right wingers are taking this narrative and running with it and saying uh, that it's the liberal media lying again, you know, to create this hyperbolic narrative. Well, the reality is that a bunch of people did die, like during the the actual event itself. So that is weird in of itself. And then the fact that like two cops did commit suicide afterwards is also very weird. It's crazy. So, you know, I it's just funny to me that if they're able to identify something that the media got wrong, then it makes it, then they can sort of use that to make it seem like the whole thing is fake or like mm-hmm. it was a false, like even a false flag. Like Michael Flynn is still actually saying it was a false flag attack of some kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are your people inside, dude. Are you saying you made him do a false flag? Like, what are you actually saying? Like, like you, you basically sent those people in there. So what part of it's a false flag? Like, what the fuck do you mean? Right. Um, but yeah, Trump, you know, has Mar-a-Lago, the sleazy resort. Um, and I wonder if his businesses after his presidency have actually suffered in terms of profits. It's be interesting to see if that's the case. Cause we all sort of were thinking originally, well, his presidency at least will, you know, after he leaves office, his businesses will just have like a huge amount of, you know, average free advertising cause he was president, but he ruined his brand so much at the end. And I'm kind of wondering if Mar-a-Lago is even doing that well right now. But apparently somebody decided to have their wedding at Mar-a-Lago down in Florida. And uh, Trump was walking through, I guess, the the reception room or whatever where they had the wedding. And uh, the people at the wedding, uh, the bride and the groom, told him to get up to the mic. So he comes to take the mic in the middle of their wedding reception and just starts talking about how it was the election was obviously rigged and how... Uh, you know, he did really well in all these states and how he was the greatest, you know, president ever. And then how Biden is just like ruining all of his uh, hard work <laughs> in China and with Iran and all this stuff. Even though Biden's like literally doing everything that Trump was yeah. doing. It's like, doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah, it, it just was really, it just came off as really babyish and whiny and just also really funny that he would do that at someone's wedding. I mean, it's like he... I don't even know. He thinks he's really funny still. You can tell that he mm-hmm. thinks he is. Like he's acting like he's at one of his rallies. But I think one of the things that people need to understand is that Trump was never funny to us before he started running for president. We like when me and you or any regular person who had like standards of humor, you know, or comedy standards before Trump ran for president, we just saw him as this like has been celebrity who was like a boring fucking idiot. Like we didn't give yeah, a shit about him. Nobody wrong. thought he was yeah. funny. They just thought he was like a blowhard, like performer, like almost like a pro wrestler, you know, on right. The Apprentice. He wasn't funny. I guess some people watch that show, but he was never funny. The only reason he was funny is because it was a heightened, extremely surreal situation to have this insane person who acted so bizarre and stupid all the time as our president. Like you, it's only funny in that scenario because it's just very intense. It's like, oh my God, like what? Like that's the, (laughs) you don't have that same feeling when he's at Mar-a-Lago crashing some couple's wedding, just doing the same thing. It's like almost like just pathetic to watch it. It's like he thinks he's the same funny guy. It's not heightened anymore. You're just this, you're just that idiot that you were before. That's such a good point. Yeah, it's such a good point. Now he's just a total has-been, no one cares it's had the completely opposite effect that I thought it would um, him getting defeated, which is like I thought that he would 
be doing like election, like an election <laughs> tour, you know, like a re-election mm-hmm. tour where he was going to say, okay, I'm going to run again. I'm going to, you know, all these people were speculating, is he going to start this new party? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? It seems like he's going to do nothing except do babyish shit like this, which is just super embarrassing for him and his whole family. I just hope to fucking God the entire Trump brand tanks. I, th- I think he really is going to continue to tank and continue to lessen his brand because first of all he you know i guess one of the main things is this idea that he's going to be the kingmaker in the republican party still and that he's going to even run again i just simply do not believe it i think that the republican party is still trying to figure out a way to get rid of his stink like they don't want to be associated with him anymore they still want the right, right. populace on their side but they want but it's so it's like a hard how do they untangle that and keep yeah. that, but then get rid of him. It's slow. It feels like it's a still a slow process. I don't know if that's what played into not impeaching him. They probably wouldn't have done it anyways. But I mean, I don't think Trump's going to have any power in the Republican Party in like six months or to a year from now. He's just going to yeah. fizzle out. I, I hope you're right. Yeah, it just seemed like everything was just overblown. You know, before Trump got elected, the Republican Party was desperate because they it was looking more and more like they weren't going to have any sort of electoral victory and um without gerrymandering and voter suppression like they really do have a hard time gaining a foothold in a lot of these areas because of just the demographics changing so dramatically in this country but trump really really re-sparked like the power of the gop and and of course because of trump the democrats uh, have just been such abysmal failures and have prevented any sort of progress from taking root. And then now that Biden's president, it's just like so obvious and apparent that the Democrats are just such, you know, an empty party. And so both parties really are at the brink of like collapse. So it is going to be really interesting to see who the Demo- who the Republicans put forward as the next presidential candidate. Um And how Biden is just going to assist in that because of just how awful he's been and really signaling to how awful he will continue to be. And awful in multiple ways. I mean, not just because his policies seem even worse than what we expected so far, which were already, we had pretty bad, low expectations already, but, you know, they're even worse than that. I mean, it seems like Ukraine uh, is ramping up again. There's all this seeming um, sort of media hysteria right now that Russia is going to take over all of Ukraine again. Like all of a sudden this is coming out. That worries me. Um, But then just on another front, Biden just seems extremely incompetent still. I mean, he really does seem to be suffering from some kind of cognitive decline. It's really hard to not think that when you just see his behavior. I mean, he repeatedly falls while climbing up the stairs uh, to Air Force One in a video clip, like three, almost like three whole times. I don't know if you did. You see this clip, Abby? Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, Ford like f- completely fell off like a th- like a stage one time, but like Biden falling three separate times. You'd think after the first time he'd sort of poise himself and be like, okay, they're filming, gotta chill out. Falling three times on camera as the president, like in a row, is pretty, I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe he was exhausted, but I don't even, did they release a statement saying that? Like, you know, remember when Hillary kind of almost collapsed on that one video clip? 
Um, and that really, you know, potentially hurt her chances against Trump. I don't know if that's true, but the least they put out a statement saying she was like dehydrated or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just so bad. It's like every time I hear Biden speak, it's just I get that he has a stutter and that has nothing to do with this. It's that he slurs like in a different way than Trump did. Trump sounded almost like he had like dentures or something sometimes. But no, Biden just it's like his mental faculties are just melting into mush, you know, and it just all blends together when he's talking. It's just such a strange thing that this guy is our president. It's like he's so clearly incapable of the job. And I mean, and I'm talking about physically and mentally. It's just really sad. It's like, you know, just falling down several times, just seeming completely exhausted, just seeming like the ultimate ghost ship being run off the cliff by his cabinet. Um, it's just it's just astounding. It's astounding that this is the person that they picked and it's astounding that he is just one of the worst people in Congress and that he's our president and that everything he's doing is just a continuation of Trump. It's just like, how is this real? How is this real? Knowing that it's just going to bring us someone worse next time. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, I guess, besides George W. Bush and my lifetime, he seems to be like the most like out of it, weird president so far. I mean, Reagan, I don't remember Reagan getting, you know, acting like he had dementia because I was too young, but yeah, it's just weird. I mean, he, he's still, it's unsettling to see how out of it he seems. And I guess he went the longest of any president uh, in history so far of not doing a press conference since he got into office. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that seems true to me. I didn't see anybody like disputing that. That's pretty fucking ridiculous especially coming off of trump where everyone yeah. was criticizing him for not doing press conferences and it's like well why wouldn't you immediately do one don't you want to differentiate yourself and yeah. i have been looking at a lot of clips of reagan because i'm doing research for empire files and reagan did seem more with it uh mm -hmm. way farther into his presidency than biden did on day one which is really that's, scary that's true and he was an actor too i mean that could have something to do with it. But I mean, I do think uh, at the same time, Reagan's dementia is also used as a cover for some of his terrible decisions that he made, too. I mean, he even tried to mm -hmm. use it in the Iran-Contra hearings. He just kept saying, I oh don't remember. God. I don't remember. So um, that's sort of inferred there. That could be sort of the limited hangout, <laughs> like history that we're <laughs> supposed to believe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's disturbing for a completely different reason than Trump. Um, Trump was unhinged, really energetic, but unhinged and just stupid and crazy. Biden is just, you know, he's also unhinged, but now it's like his, he's just like a ghost. I mean, he's still this weird ghost who I don't even, I can't even think of any Biden moments where he said anything except during yeah, the Capitol riots. That was maybe the only time I could remember him saying anything. Well, that's it's just weird because once the election came and went, it's just kind of like it's a dud. You know, I don't <laughs> even see anything from Biden. I don't hear anything from Biden where at least during the run up of the election, it was just everyone was glued to the news cycle. And Biden was saying a lot of crazy shit where they actually had to hide him for the most part. And that like ended up being their campaign strategy was not having him do events or pressers or anything like that, because he would either say vote for the other guy 
challenge you to fight you, you know, take you behind the, the woodshed, like all kinds of crazy shit he was doing. Um, so I don't know what the strategy is now, if he's just really just floating around the halls of, of the White House and people are just kind of, you know, checking the boxes on his behalf. I'm not really sure because I am not seeing him ever, you know, and all I just see um, are the articles that comes out that talks about what he, you know, just, just what he's quietly passing, like, and it's all terrible. It's all absolutely horrible shit, you know, um, this Pentagon budget, for example, where he's now proposing a budget increase of $133 billion from Trump's era, um, $753 billion dollars billion dollars uh, a significant increase from last year we're talking about like i don't know like a, a 15 billion dollars or so increase alone from last year this 750 billion dollars is only for the pentagon this is not even including like military related spending for other agencies such as the energy department which maintains the country's nuclear arsenal which we know under obama you know was going to be like a trillion dollar maintenance over the next 10 years or something like it is out of control that this is the Pentagon budget. Um, I mean, I, I, I expect it as much, but it's just like, why? Like we talked about before, like, why continue Space Force? Just just uncritically continue all of these dramatic escalations in the military budget when we are in a fucking global pandemic, when tens of millions of people are without jobs, without health care, millions of more people plunge into poverty, and this is what we're doing like, okay, you, you're trying to pass this infrastructure bill. Great. You're going to blame it on Republicans when it doesn't pass, even though you can end the filibuster, right? Yeah, great. You're going to blame it on the parliamentarian. Why don't you fucking siphon some money off the top of this goddamn Pentagon budget? Why don't you put it back to 2017 levels, which, by the way, if you just simply roll back this Pentagon budget that exists today to 2017 levels four years ago, you could end homelessness in the entire country. You could hire 1 million people to invest in infrastructure projects, like create 1 million jobs of people actually building up infrastructure, the crumbling bridges, the roads, everything's falling apart in this decaying bowels of the empire. And you could hire a million teachers that are in these awfully underfunded schools across the country. That's how much money we're talking about here for perspective. And I tried to find like what exactly is in this budget. You know, and and aside from like subsidies for Israel and dictatorships like Uganda and all this shit, it designates China as the top challenge for the empire. The budget identifies China. It calls out the need to leverage the Pacific Deterrence Initiative. So I don't know what that means. I'm assuming more war games, more military personnel and more buildup around China, which is just like so just... It's just so not even hiding it, you know? Um, it's just crazy. It's just crazy, especially given the fact that there's just like, I'm in the epicenter of homelessness in LA. There was just this huge mass eviction of homeless people at this, in Echo Park, which is like a lake. And it's just like, police came in this militarized fashion, almost like they cracked on an Occupy Wall Street in Oakland, Robbie, where they like broke a reporter's arm with a baton. Like it was just so violent and gross what they did just to kick these people off of this little encampment. And it's just like, it's just sick. 
it's sick. The priorities are sick. sick and it's never going to be, it's never going to be redirected for the people. And it just all stems from like the sickness of society and the sickness of capitalism and the system. And, and it's never going to change. On the U S in particular, I mean, we're, mm-hmm. you know, why is the, why are the police seemingly getting more and more militant and stuff? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, they're not, they, there's not, doesn't seem to be, you know, even with all this BLM stuff, they don't seem to be responding by thinking of actual reform. I mean, it just seems like the more things get economically hard in this country for people, um, the more the class divide increases, the more fascist the police are going to become. It's almost just like a, right. it's an equation that's that's going to happen here. Remember we were talking about, I think it might have been like even before the pandemic, this idea of global unrest that the U.S. Mm-hmm, Army was like mm-hmm. making videos about what's going to happen, like if the when, the when or if like we run out of oil or when the economy crashes or whatever, yep. that there's going to be like riots in like all these major you know cities and countries around the world. And then, I mean, that's the kind of shit that it just seems like they're actually thinking about now. I mean, like even Kamala, going back to what she said, the thing about yeah. wars over water, it's like, why is she even saying, where, where is her head at that would make her even say that? If that was an off-the-cuff statement, because that's just weird. I mean, is she, is this what the kind of they're talking about now? How they can just like stop like the the apocalypse or whatever? Like, um, it's not, it's not any more that America is going to be. Um, you know, there to manage the global order. It's actually now America's going to be there to just like make sure that like the water and the air is still clean, like after everything's like fucked. So like everybody doesn't, it's just it's such a weird um, headspace, you know, that these people For the must top be in. 1%. Yeah, no, yeah, they want nuts, the clean dude. water and air for the, the point. One percent at the top, the the top yeah. tier of clean water and air to be pumped into their bunkers underground with their yeah pumped into their food. fucking veins yeah. while they they're fed grapes by slaves. Like it just it's just such a bizarre mindset to give up. It's essentially given up because they know it's gone too far. We're past the point of no return, which is why you see the Pentagon gaming out scenarios of uh, like uh, post-apocalyptic scenarios right and why you see the elite of the elite already with their bunkers with seed vaults you know figuring out their escape routes their escape plans have already Mm -hmm. been plotted they already have their plans done and and they they're going to leave all of us uh in the dust and we're all going to be left to fend for ourselves because it's coming climate change uh and as climate change exacerbates that is going to increase violence war rioting all of that stuff right crime i mean it's just it's just like inevitable it it, we can all see it on the horizon and there's nothing we can do to stop it because we know it's a systemic thing and what's so sad it's like homelessness too it's like instead of actually looking taking a step back and being like how can we get to the root of this problem how can we eliminate homelessness which is a very eliminatable i just created a word eliminatable problem right um you provide people with homes affordable housing jobs uh you can do simple things like public showers public restrooms right uh community havens something like the occupy wall street model of mutual aid there's so many things that you can invest in defunding the police and investing in these really necessary things to build society up instead what they do is actually put spikes on 
uh, on benches, anti-homeless measures, because they want to actually criminalize homelessness and criminalize poverty. You see bills like this passed all over the country, like Silicon Valley, for example, like you can't sleep in a car because it's offensive to rich people's fucking eyes to walk past a car and see a family living in it. That's offensive to your fucking eyes instead of the act of being home. Like, isn't that more offensive to your soul? The fact that poor people exist, like... It's just like so fucking backward. It's so backward. And that's like what this eviction was at Echo Park. It's like the people who had real estate were just offended that they had to look at poverty. They didn't want to fucking look at these poor people anymore because it was disgusting to them. And so they just wanted to get rid of them because out of sight, out of mind and just get rid of them. There was even talks from Garcetti, which is the mayor of LA, there were even talks of like putting these people in concentration camps out by the airport, like rounding up homeless people and actually putting them in concentration camps. I don't know what happened to that plan. I'm actually surprised they didn't go through with it. Um, Jesus Christ. It's just, un- it's just unreal. It really is hard to wrap your mind around. And like removing, removing like benches altogether. Like you can't, yeah. it's like, where are these people supposed to go? Yeah, I mean, all there's a lot of architecture. I didn't realize until like maybe a year and a half ago that there's a lot of architecture that's already around that's pretty like commonplace to just um, prevent homeless people from sleeping on it. You know, the yep. park benches that you already see with the divider in the middle, that's not an armrest. That's there because they don't want someone sleeping on it. Mm-hmm. These little things that you've been seeing, but they've even gone to the, you know, the point where they actually put spikes on uh, sort of window sills that are big enough for people to lie down on, um, like little cement spikes, you know, so you can't really lay, do- lay down on it. I just saw this story uh, out of uh, British Columbia, a homeless shelter next to a business um, got a giant bucket of shit, uh, manure poured right on their front doorstep. And uh, the police investigated it and uh, the shelter looked through their surveillance videos and found that it was the man next door who owned the business. He was just upset that a homeless shelter was next door for whatever reason, maybe because there were people loitering outside, that he literally poured a bucket of shit in front of their establishment. Oh, my God. It should be illegal, you know. Instead, it's encouraged to criminalize uh, the unhoused and put this kind of hostile architecture, this anti-homeless architecture, it's just it's just really beyond the pale. Um, which brings me to Amazon, which is, you know, there was a strike and then now they're trying to unionize. And of course, it's a huge PR disaster for Amazon. And they thought it would be a good idea. I'm sure you saw this. They thought it'd be a good idea on Twitter to actually confront people talking about the abysmal deplorable conditions within Amazon facilities, the fact that Amazon drivers have to piss and shit in bags because they can't find bathrooms, especially during COVID. It's like there's no public bathrooms accessible um, and they don't have time. They're on, they're on like a timer. You know, they get docked points and stuff. They're on like some weird robotic point system where they have to, to clock in and, and, you know, fit within the parameters of whatever impossible expectations that Amazon's putting out for how quickly they can do everything, whether it's running across these giant multi-football field long warehouses or delivering things on time. 
And so the PR person for Amazon actually, you know, had the audacity to deny this and be like, oh, you really believe that people are peeing in bags? If that were true, no one would work for us. It's like, well, we know this is true. We have internal documents that say this is true. Like, what are you talking about? It was just, it's just so weird. It's like, this is your way to to correct the record is to have some weird Twitter account try to like troll journalists and argue with people online like this isn't it it wasn't just one account either they had a bizarre slew of accounts that at first glance you almost think it's fake because there are all these people like some like Amazon something something and it looks it's not like a verified account a lot of them they don't they don't look official but apparently they were it was almost like a like some kind of training program for employees to learn how to like defend Amazon or something. <laughs> but they can't possibly be people on the floor of the warehouse who are tweeting those things. So it was very strange. Apparently those were all real. All the ones that were the weirdest ones were from real Amazon employees, apparently. Yeah, it's almost like corporations are just getting more arrogant and confident with their like slave-like conditions. They're just like, yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Like either gaslighting us being like, nope, none of this is true. Or just being like, yeah, dude, what, what are you going to do about it? And I just saw that it's, it's a critically acclaimed movie called Nomad Land with Frances McDormand and it. There's posters all over LA and I saw it and it, it is very good. Um, but I think the most interesting part of it is it shows what life is like for one of these people who migrates to different seasonal jobs you know and how amazon has like parking lots that you can rent out um and i guess for free if you're like a seasonal amazon employee or whatever working for christmas let's say and you just like live in this like concrete lot in like a van um because you can never quite make enough money to actually afford a one-bedroom apartment as we've talked about the minimum wage is a poverty wage and there's nowhere in the entire country that you can actually afford a one-bedroom apartment on the poverty wage and so it's actually really interesting and depressing insight on how not only the tens of millions of unhoused people in this country but also this type of low wage trap people living on a wage that like Amazon provides, right? And it's not even like a year round job. And so it's the seasonal jobs where you have to just like chase the job um, and you never have a home, but you're living in your car and stuff. It's, it's just, it's just a whole other aspect that I never even thought about, about like we hear these statistics and they don't really resonate because you don't really see like what it is to live like this, you know? There's so many people living like that. Yeah. It's it's really uh, hard to process it. Mm-hmm. So DMX died, which is uh, another casualty of, I'm, I, I don't know if it was opiates or what. Do you know exactly what he overdosed on, Robbie? No, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's just sad. Um, he was only 50 years old, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, his music is definitely like some of the more standout, interesting, like commercial rap stuff from that era, like early 2000s compared to what else was out there, I think. Like he had a very distinct style. Uh, Lori was a big fan back in the day. I don't know, did you ever, did you listen to much DMX? I didn't listen to much DMX, but of course some of his songs like shaped my, you know, shaped our whole generation. Like Yeah, his hits, you mean? You know, yeah, totally. And I think my favorite memory of DMX was 
when he said that he would fuck up George Zimmerman. Because remember how George Zimmerman was trying to like say yeah. that he would like do a celebrity boxing thing or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. DMX was just like, "All right, dude." He's like, "I'll fucking I'll break every bone in your body." <laughs> he's like, "I'm gonna beat the living fuck out of him. I'm going to break every rule in boxing and make sure I fuck him up right." And then he said, "Once I'm done with him, I'm gonna whip my dick out and piss on him right in his motherfucking face because he's a piece of shit and that's what he needs to drink." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, he's, I like his, uh, the way he speaks because he, his, some of his lyrics are like pretty obscene and like really not just sexual, but they're like really bizarre. Like he talks, he has like lyrics about like necrophilia and stuff. Um, so he was not a murder rapper like that subgenre of rap, but he like definitely had some like edge to him that some, you know, other commercial rappers didn't really talk about stuff like that. Uh, so that's, that's great. I love that quote from him. Just a, a huge loss, another casualty of this bizarre, surreal era that we're living in, and it's just another another good person gone, you know? It's just really, really sad. I, I definitely going to make a point to listen to more of his music and, you know, I hope someone fucks up George Zimmerman in his honor. Yep. There is a hunger strike going on to call attention to the Yemen blockade that started on March 29th. A group of activists are sitting in front of the White House. I'm not sure where they're staying. I don't think they're camping out there, but they are there congregating every day, not eating. Uh, It's an incredible thing that they're doing. It's very inspiring. They did it, I think, on March 26th because that was the sixth year anniversary of the war um, where we saw massive, massive demonstrations all across Yemen, protesting, of course, the continued genocidal blockade of Yemen on behalf of Saudi Arabia and the coalition. So the group that is engaging in the hunger strike is called the Yemeni Liberation Movement. It is a organization based in Detroit that drove to D.C. and is staking out um, you know, space to talk about this and to draw attention to it. I saw Elon Omar went and met with them. I appreciated that very much. Um, and you know, it's really important. It's really important what they're doing and we need to support these people and we need to call attention to this because we can't forget that the U S is directly responsible for this. And I say responsible because even though it's Saudi Arabia doing it, the U S is providing all of the support. Biden hasn't stopped shit. We've already talked about that, but it's not even the weapons necessarily. It's the port being blocked for aid. Right, mm-hmm. because that's where the humanitarian crisis really is being aggravated, which is the fuel shipments um, and ships not being able to get through this port blockade. And so hundreds of thousands of people have died, which is probably a gross underestimate. But disease, uh, famine, tens of millions of people are on the brink of starvation because of the lack of food and medicine. Um, the coalition has completely sealed the country off. That's the Saudi Arabian Navy, the naval blockade, and which is completely supported by the U.S. The U.S. has not enlisted any pressure whatsoever on Saudi to block, to stop the blockade. And one of the hunger strikers said, uh, that is quoted by Middle East Eye, she said, they could claim that they're not preventing food and medicine and other necessities from entering the country because they're just stopping fuel, but you can't transport any of these goods without fuel. Um, and when you see Tim Lenderking, which is the envoy, I guess, for Yemen and 
whatever who's claiming he's like stopping the U.S. support for like the war. Name, That's Lunder fake. King? Yeah, yeah, it's a really weird name. K A I N G. Um, L E N D E R King. Yeah, like King, <laughs> wow, like a really, kingmaker. Like I wonder. Trump. Oh, I gotta look that up. Um, Sorry. So he played down the effects of the blockade. He was just like, no, he's like, he's like, food and medicine is coming in. It's just like, dude, what is going on here? This is all fake. This needs to stop. Like, I cannot believe this is going. It's kind of similarly to Gaza. It's just like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, what are we doing here? If you can't stop this, then what the hell worth are you? I'll end this story by quoting a socialist party leader within Yemen itself and a member of the Yemeni Shura Council, Naif Haydn, who said, quote, we are here to send a message to both the United States and Saudi Arabia that we are ready to make more sacrifices against the Saudi-led coalition. Any peace initiative must contain a permanent end to the war to lift the blockade completely, include a detailed reconstruction program, and compensate Yemenis. So you've seen this, um, you've seen them just blast through these these fake promises of negotiation and peace from the Biden administration. And they just are like, no, we're not buying any of this without this, this and this. They're making very clear demands and they're sticking with them and they're saying we're not stopping. Robbie, we're not stopping, even though it's been six years straight of this. And we saw tens of millions of Yemenis come out in a show of incredible force to stand very clear um, that they will continue they will continue to fight and resist. And it's really up to us, again, organizing against our government and drawing attention to this and forcing the hand to stop this genocidal blockade from happening. And I uh, applaud and commend these hunger strikers for doing just that because it's it's dramatic and drastic actions like that that will get the attention of corporate media and continue to put the pressure on the Biden administration to stop this once and for all. So yeah, Yemen is just such a crucial issue and it's just such an urgent issue and it's just like how long are we going to wait you know how long are we going to wait for action on this when tens of millions of people's lives hang in the balance like quite literally so next we're going to actually interview a good friend of mine a good friend of the show ryan wentz he's an anti-war activist and journalist working at soapbox and a new project that he initiated called the spin report he was visited by plainclothes officers at his home two days ago to harass and threaten him over a tweet he made. Uh, very, very concerning. Um, a lot has come out since that we can talk about, but Ryan's on the show today to discuss what happened to him and, you know, the broader chilling effect that these kind of police state measures have on the activist community. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. Yeah, thank you both for having me on my favorite podcast out there. So, yeah, I love that you're now called a podcaster yourself. I know. Oh on, my God. Uh, the likes of Fox News and such. I mean, how, first of all, before we even get into the story, how was it to just be the center of like a viral news story, like being churned out through the 24 hour news cycle? It was really, really weird. I guess I just realized how fast everything happens like new details emerge mm -hmm. and like different journalists are looking into different things but yeah it, it was very bizarre because like I started my day feeling very paranoid and scared and then because of how much attention it got I felt at least a little more safe in my own home and I feel like I would be doing a lot worse if I had just kept it to myself Totally. Yeah, it's interesting how the story can get construed 
misconstrued, reconstrued in different ways. But yeah, I mean, if you were just sitting there isolated, it would be horrifying. You know, you don't know if the cops are coming back. Um, but yeah, I mean, being the center of a, of a 24 hour news cycle is very intimidating. It's intense, you know, and you just don't really know where it's going to go. But at, at the very least, it did shine a light on your case and probably will hopefully prevent something similar from happening to you in the future and hopefully other people. So why don't we get into what exactly happened, Ryan? Uh, start from the beginning. I found out that um, AOC had done a live stream on April 1st uh, with a Jewish organization from New York um, with this guy named Michael Miller, I believe. And I just wanted to watch it because I um, am assuming that, you know, she'll maybe talk about Palestine, an issue that I care a lot about. Um, and that will shine a light on like where she's at in terms of her views on Palestine. What I wrote was that she had done this live stream and that I thought that it was uh, an incredibly underwhelming response, to say the very least. And it was mm -hmm. just it was a really horrible response that she gave. She basically said it's all about the what and the how and went off some, on some tangent that was very obscure. She like made one reference to settlements and like the two state solution. But really, like anyone on the left uh, who sees that would be disappointed you know it just wasn't very mm -hmm. um encouraging considering she's like in the past come out with at least a little bit stronger statements of, like condemning israel's crimes um but mm. i like she didn't even say in like a human rights watch speak that you know israel is violating the human rights or violating international law like something kind of like that um she didn't even say that so I just thought it was really frustrating to watch. And then the, that tweet went viral. Um, I think it got like a couple hundred thousand views uh, in the 24 hours. And then the next day I was coming back from work or to start working from my home. It was around 2.30 and I was waiting for a Postmates order and I heard two men say my name bobbing their heads on the other side, up and down on the other side of my front gate. And yeah, I approached them and they showed me their badges and asked if they could come in. And I said, no, and we can talk around the side. So I talked with them for about 10 minutes. And the first thing they said to me was like, did you threaten to kill a sitting member of Congress on Twitter yesterday? Wow. And wow. <laughs> I honestly didn't even know what tweet they were referring to. Like, I didn't even remember the AOC tweet because that was so not the message that I right. had put out. Um, <laughs> so that didn't even like cross my mind initially. And then they like asked. Well, they use the word, just stopping me really quick. Do they, they actually said threaten to kill. They didn't just say threaten. No, they said threaten to kill. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> which is really extreme. Um, and I, like, they kept asking me questions, very invasive questions about whether I have family that lives around here, um, how my mental health is, whether I own guns, what I do for work, and um, a number of other questions. And, like, eventually they said, 
um, we are here on behalf of the Capitol Police because we received a report that said that you, and they said my account out loud, queer a la mode, um, threatened to kill AOC and you tagged her in the tweet. And so that's when I knew mm-hmm. that it was the tweet that I'm talking about now, the video, because I actually mm-hmm. did tag her in it. Like throughout those 10 minutes, they repeatedly accused me of threatening to kill her. And I repeatedly denied that and told them that I had posted a video saying that I was disappointed or underwhelmed. And then they left after 10 minutes. They gave me their card, one of them. And yeah, they took off. And um, then I like wrote a thread about it and put that up really quickly. And then that really spread like a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Cause I, we already spoke to Ryan um, before this as well, when right after it happened. And one of the strangest things you told me, Ryan, was that they didn't actually disclose to you the content of the tweet they were talking about. They left it s- sort of vague. All they told you was, did you tag AOC in a tweet and threaten to kill her? But they didn't tell you what tweet it was. You just had to infer yourself that it must have been somehow related to the tweet that you're referring to about the Palestine comments. Exactly. Because they said that it was a tweet from yesterday or from Wednesday, but uh, yesterday to them. And uh, they said that I had tagged her in it. So there was only one tweet that I had tagged her in from that day. And did you feel compelled at any point to be like, did you guys actually see the tweet to see what it said? Because it's definitely not a death threat. Like, did you try to argue with them or did you just sort of stonewall them because you knew that they were acting shady? I mean, they seemed like they were almost um, assessing your domestic terror potential. Right, right. You know? Yeah, like getting a yeah getting a profile on you as they were interrogating you. Oh, yeah. They asked if I had guns as well. I mean, I didn't want to, like, engage with them any more than I yeah. already was, really. Of course. You know? So... And like that's, so you were trying to stonewall them kind of because you knew that. Yeah, I knew that I didn't. You, you, you understood that you shouldn't talk to police. Yeah. 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 And I and I kept saying like I when he, they asked about my mental health and when they asked about my family, I was like, I'm not answering these questions without a lawyer. Um, and mm-hmm. so I only kind of answered like a couple. Um, but I just wanted them to know that I didn't threaten to kill her and that I don't have guns and I don't have any intent to harm any politician. Mm-hmm. It's really scary because here's what here's what's running through my mind, Ryan. If you refuse to, you have the legal right, constitutional right to not say anything to them. You you can just the first thing out of your mouth can be, "I need a lawyer present to speak to you." Now, what's scary is that they just immediately asked you, "Did you threaten to kill mm-hmm. AOC?" So if you just said, "I cannot answer this question without a lawyer present," like. With that, with if they were already led to believe that you'd actually done that, then it's kind of almost questionable what legal authority that would give them at that point, you yeah. know, to like actually violate your rights. It's it's scary to think about that. If you just stonewall them from the very beginning, they might have escalated the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just it's just very frightening to think about what could have happened. With that, with just going straight into any, you know, questioning anybody from the public saying, did you threaten to kill 
a politician, it's like one of the most extreme things you could be accused of. Yeah, absolutely. No, it felt so extreme. I was like, damn, that's like the most serious crime that you could be accused of. I mean, here's what's also scary to me. And I experienced a little bit of this myself when the FBI surprise visited me after the Mm -hmm. beheading hoax. There seems to be an element here of catching you off guard because if they wanted to, they could have called you, Ryan. Yeah. 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 They could have, they could have, they could have casually contacted you and said, Hey, we'd like to ask you a few questions. There's this accusation of a death threat. Instead, they came in not guns blazing, but kind of like with the orientation of, we want to catch you off guard. We're in plain clothes. We're coming to your house. I mean, it just, it seems to be by design to intimidate you and throw you off. Yeah. I definitely think it was. <laughs> and you did feel very intimidated. You said that you were very scared. You were paranoid. Um, I mean, just the emotional toll. Yeah, I mean, I was really paranoid that night. Like, I wanted to close every, lock every door, close every window, like, not go outside ever. Um, didn't want to be alone. Uh, I, like, threw up. And I didn't eat for a couple of days. Um, and yeah, it's just a really traumatizing situation because A, considering what could have been, as you said, and then B, just not really knowing anything about it. There's so little transparency right. here. And I have no idea if there's anything to come or if it that's it. But it just feels very, um, it's really alarming. Right. And there's several things about it that are alarming as well. Like, first of all, you are an anonymous account for the for the most part. I mean, you do reveal who you are, of course, in your projects, Soapbox and Bitches Who Are Right, the podcast that you're co-host of. But online on Twitter, Queer a la Mode does not say your name, Ryan Wentz, right? And there's right. no distinction of who exactly you are and so on one hand it's very scary that cops immediately were able to identify you it's the question of you know how did they get this personal information did twitter hand over this information apparently a senior executive with twitter said the company never gives information about its users to law enforcement without a warrant Um, and when it is required to pursue a warrant it notifies the user you did not receive any such notification So the question is, like, how did they immediately get this information and just find you? That's really scary, right? And then it's also really scary the fact that it was the California Highway Patrol. It seems totally random and outside of their jurisdiction to be acting on behalf of the Capitol Police. But as it was later revealed that this is exactly what they do. They uh, they appear to be part of the L.A. Joint Terrorism Task Force. Mm-hmm. And in fact, according to a journalist working for Jacobin Magazine, Chip Gibbons, he said that uh, a FOIA request he made showed that an FBI investigation into Palestine solidarity activists, the CHP was briefed on, um, was part of this task force. So going back again, like it all goes back to Palestine. <laughs> it really does. But um, <laughs> so it's just super interesting, right? Super interesting. What was your initial reaction to like the fact that it was the California Highway Patrol? Because when you posted this, I think that was the most quizzical response. Like people were just super baffled. They were like, why is the California Highway Patrol coming and interrogating you, this seems fake, right? People were just yeah. saying like, oh, this isn't real. There must be more to the story. It's like, well, yeah, clearly there's more to the story on their end. 
Yeah. There's not more to the story with what you're saying. Like, why would you lie about this? You had the guy's card. Exactly. Like, my side has been very clear. I've been very clear about what happened. I know nothing about what happened when it comes to who flagged the tweet, how the Capitol Police mm-hmm. notified the CHP. I have no idea. I have no answers to these questions, you know? Um, and all you've gotten is denials. You've gotten a couple official responses from the Capitol Police uh, basically denying that it was had anything to do with her office. Correct. Or no, her directly. They didn't say any of her, they didn't specify it was her office. They just said it was not reported by her or something like that. Yeah. So before we get into like what, what we think and the implications of this, let let me just actually say exactly what you're talking about, Robbie, which is the statement from the Capitol Police. Because at first, I think people were very confused, including Ryan himself. Like, did AOC flag this? Was it her office? What happened here? Because we had no idea. Ryan had no idea how this happened. All he knew was that he posted this bizarre word salad from AOC and all of a sudden he gets the police knocking at his door. So, of course, it's just very bizarre. It's confusing. Um, I think within a a couple hours, maybe 12 hours or so, uh, her office told Ryan Grimm, reporter for The Intercept, said they did not report this post to the police. And they actually asked for answers from the Capitol Police. Quote, no, not at all. But when we saw his tweets last night about being visited, we asked Capitol Police to look into what happened here. Um, Capitol Police told Ryan Grimm, as it pertains to this incident, the Congresswoman did not request that this investigation be initiated. The full statement from the Capitol Police said, U.S. CP investigates all threats that are reported by congressional offices. The department also monitors open and classified sources to identify and investigate threats. This is standard operating procedure. As it pertains to this incident, the congresswoman did not request that an investigation be initiated. And then what came out after that, Ryan, how did it get confirmed to you that this actually wasn't your tweet? There was another statement from the Capitol Police, I think. Oh, yeah, you sent it to me. Let me uh, let me find that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So Marissa Schultz, a reporter for Fox News, said uh, yesterday, she said, on one more update on this, a Capitol Police official further clarifies to me that queer a la mode tweets did not spark the investigation. Rather, it was a threatening tweet that someone else wrote and tagged you. Just talk about this like roller coaster of like, all these different statements contrasting all of these different excuses and then just ultimately finding out it wasn't your tweet. It was someone else who tagged you in a tweet, Ryan. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know who to trust or who was actually getting like the legitimate information. I don't know. It just was very hard to uh, sift through, but I, it does, I guess, comfort me a little bit that it wasn't my tweet because like they were really trying to make it seem like something it wasn't, but it's also deeply unsettling that a reply to my tweet could get me a visit from the police, (laughs) a reply. I have no control over replies. I mean, and that's the, that's one of the weirdest things about this. I think that raises the most questions for me, which is, Maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Ryan, it might have been believable that a Capitol Police 
person, investigator, would have been idiotic enough to think that a reply to a tweet had something to do with your original tweet. That if someone yeah. replied to your tweet making a death threat, I could see it, some idiot working in law enforcement 15 years ago mistaking that for your original tweet. But we're in 2021. How is it possible that someone could have made a mistake like that? and actually roped you into an investigation, having the highway patrol officers who were sent to your house accuse you of writing the death threat. That is extremely odd. I, to me, it's not explainable. You can't explain it away by saying they made a mistake. There's yeah. something else going on there that's very odd. At first, I we were talking, I was like, maybe they made a fuck up. It's, it's possible they did. It's unlikely, but maybe they did. But the more information we're getting, it just sounds impossible. So the question I had out of this is, was it meant to intimidate you or sort of chill you? And if so, why? Because this would obviously blow up in like alternative media at the very least. Yeah. So why would they want that mm -hmm. to happen? You know, that's strange. I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you think about that, Ryan? No, I think you're exactly right. Honestly, I like thought about giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then I was like, no, I think that there's something bigger at play. I think that it it's like a political targeting. It's just such an outrageous claim on its face, which is that under their authority, they can just investigate and come directly to confront, harass and intimidate everybody and anybody, quote, indirectly involved with a tweet. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's anyone. That's literally anyone. Yeah, like uh, it would almost it seems like if they're willing able to do that, then if you just like post in a Facebook thread with like 100 other comments and yeah, somebody right. in those 100 comments makes a death threat, then what they're allowed to just come to your house. Yes. It's so weird because. It could be I mean, there's so many different political reasons this could have been for too. Mm -hmm. It's hard to actually pin down a single one. I mean, it could have been a combination um, do you want to go into sort of the different possibilities of what ran through your mind about, you know, what politically about it was the, or what politically about your tweet attracted uh, the attention of Capitol Police? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, one thing is Palestine. Um, you know, I think that AOC to these people to like hardcore Zionists represents like the leftmost take on Palestine in their world. So when they hear someone criticizing her from the left, that's very threatening. Um, you know, like they, she kind of stays in that sphere of like what's acceptable. And um, I just wouldn't put it past, I know how like vicious and, you know, organized these uh, pro-Israel organizations are. So I, and I know how they work with uh, law enforcement all the time with like the FBI to like investigate just Palestinian college students, you know? So mm -hmm. that's definitely one possibility. Um, another is that I work for Soapbox and, you know, big tech has labeled Soapbox uh, like Russian state controlled media. And to a lot of paranoid Americans, that makes it seem like like in their delusional minds, I'm uh, like a Russian agent. <laughs> Other than that, I think that there's like definitely a cult of personality around AOC and she has like stands that are like the K-Hive or um, something like yeah. that, you know? And so they're very protective 
and they act um, kind of as like a mob, you know, and mm -hmm. like with this group think and like all kind of doing anything um, to protect her image and her like status on the left or whatever. Um, so yeah, those are like the three main things that I could see it. I mean, other than just my politics in general, like on my Twitter account, I don't know. I, I don't think I know a lot of other people who have like just as radical a politics on Twitter. So I don't really know if that would be uh, really a possibility. But I don't know. What do you guys think? It is unfortunate that I think it got turned into just about AOC because, you know, there is a news like the, the, going back to the news cycle that I was talking about, like initially it gets spun out. It kind of got construed and spun out into AOC directed this AOC mm -hmm. or her people somehow saw the tweet and then sent officers to your house to threaten you and crush any sort of political dissent against Queen B. Uh -huh. um, but, but you know, as we're learning more and more about the story, um, and this is, I guess, what's so dangerous about, like, immediate reactions to the 24-hour news cycle is, like, of course, more information always comes out. And I think the more information that's come out actually makes it weirder and more disturbing because of what we're talking about, like the fact that this is just a wide, it's just a dragnet that can really encompass and encapsulate anyone who's now tied to threats or anything that appears to be a threat online. Because um, I, I don't believe that police are that stupid. I don't believe that they would waste resources going after someone like you to intimidate and threaten you based on someone else's tweet. Like, I don't right. buy that. But it does really speak to the nature of the police state that we're living in, this kind of draconian overreach of uh, militarized police forces that have such an expendable resource uh, resources to do such things at the behest of the Capitol Police, an agency that just stood down, that we know stood down and allowed thousands of people to invade the Capitol, which is supposed to be one of the most protected buildings on the planet. That happened. And then at the same time, you have this agency directing police to go do stuff like this. I just don't buy it. Yep. It's too weird. But unfortunately, I feel like the story got turned into something that took away from what I think is the story, which is our police state and, and that you have targeting leftists, targeting activists and trying to crush and intimidate political dissent when at the same time kind of letting, you know, right wingers off the hook when it comes to something like the Capitol. And not that I think that there should be more police uh, action against right wingers. I'm just saying it's, it's really, really a stark contrast when you look at those two events and like what exactly is going on here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really unsettling just how clear it is that um, these agencies go after the left and then like team up with the right <laughs> you know it's like they are the right so you're right <laughs> um it's pretty terrifying just to be on the left in the u.s and it always has been so um this is like my story is just one in a long series of stories and it's still interesting. I think the wording of that last um, report by that Fox News reporter is very interesting because it's not like they're saying 
uh, we investigate every lead. You know, when it comes to someone making a death threat to a politician, we we sort of we 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 uh, we have to contact a lot of people and you know double check things. The police directly accused you of sending a death threat tweet. Mm-hmm. So something is not adding up here, and I'm not assuming any sort of bureaucratic error or mistake at all. I'm just confused about what in the fuck who actually pulled this lever to make this happen is it even possible to find out who sent this supposedly threatening tweet to aoc and who that was and what that tweet said that's odd too it's like what was the threat did it even happen we can't even believe that you know i mean we don't know if they just made that up out of thin air because they did something so crazy and it blew up in their face we also have to remember that even though we're sitting here thinking, why would they want this kind of bad press? It seems ridiculous. I mean, maybe they're just that crazy and and overzealous with their, you know, the political things that they're told to do. I don't know. It's uh, it's just so so disturbing for so many reasons, and there's still so many questions. I mean, I think the Russia thing is one that keeps sticking in my mind as one that I could see someone at the top pulling some kind of lever to make the hammer come down on you specifically um, and to just kind of scare you, to rattle you a little bit. Why? I don't know. Maybe because that video, you know, as maybe innocuous as it seemed, was sort of a, a cutting thing that, you know, really sort of disrupts the Israeli lobbying's efforts in this country. I mean, yeah. look what Stand With Us did last time Abby talked about Israel on Joe Rogan. You know, they probably spent a lot of money to to try to stop Abby from from talking about Israel again. I mean, they they put resources into that. I mean, and that's also possible the Israel yes. thing as well. Yeah. But a but so is an AOC stand. So is a crazy, you know, mm. fan of hers, maybe even trying to frame you, or or fan of hers who saw that you work for a Russian affiliated media outlet who got outraged at that combination. You yeah. know, or it could have been a triple whammy. Could have been a Zionist Democrat <laughs> who hates Russia and loves AOC. That's probably <laughs> like all at the same time saw that and was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, so we don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that Israel is investing so many resources to just infiltrate social media and quote unquote correct the record. It's like who knows if they have people that are just designated to monitor people like Ryan. Um, yeah, we 100%. already know about prop or not that deems anything that just goes against the corporate media line or the orthodoxy of u.s empire they just call it russian propaganda and russian like way actually way more sinister than that it's like actually you are a a russian agent you know and Mm -hmm. ryan welcome to the club baby uh you are officially designated a russian agent thank you (laughs) working actively to under (laughs) working actively to undermine our sacred democracy here (laughs) But yeah, it, it's scary to not know where this originated from. You're never going to get a clear answer unless maybe, you, yeah. I don't know, do a FOIA request or try to like sue. But that's like also just more trauma for you. You know, it's like no one wants to go through that. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I would ideally love if it could just end now and I could just know what happened. But there's no transparency. And I just think it's a reflection of the U.S. government. Like all of this all of this situation has just basically solidified my views and my understanding of how the US works, you know? Like, it, yes, it's a police state. Yes, it cracks down on leftists way more than it cracks down on the right. Yes, 
um, like the Silicon Valley tech companies are doing really, really shady shit on behalf of the U.S. empire. Yes, um, you know, I just feel like go down the list and it check it checks every box. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just proves a lot of the points that I've made before this happened. Um, so it's a really bizarre situation to be in it myself. Uh, it is really scary to think that this could be a larger dragnet with the FBI, you know, looking into Russian disinformation campaigns on behalf of the Biden administration. Yeah. Because, you know, going off of the Trump campaign, it seems like that's all he cares about is like just now targeting Russia and China and, and everything that goes along with that. And then it's just also the Israel stuff. I mean, you are an extremely vocal opponent to the apartheid state of Israel. It, Twitter is a battleground right now for the Zionist regime and you are doing a lot of damage, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just scary to not know. It's scary to not know. And it's, it it does cause a chilling effect, but Ryan, I don't think that's going to happen in your case, right? You're not going to be chilled into submission here. No, definitely not. I mean, if anything, it just makes me more um, outraged and willing to talk and shout. And um, yeah, I will never be, uh, silenced by the U.S. <laughs> How did you feel when Tucker Carlson wanted you to come on his program? Talk about that. I just decided not to do it. He still covered me in a segment and like put my photo and my name up there, which was really weird to see. My like right wing uncle, who I don't really talk to, like messaged my aunt and was like, "I was just watching Tucker and Ryan showed up." <laughs> Ah. wait so what did he say because i didn't see the intro to the segment what what exactly how did he frame it okay so he just was like aoc is like egging on authoritarianism like and cracking down on her critics um like if this were happening in ghana we would call it authoritarianism or something dude that is so funny and then he was like hilarious he was like this Ryan Wentz tweeted something um, and then was visited by two police officers the next day. And I don't know. He just made it seem like AOC like controls the like police state, which just like is Mm -hmm. not accurate at all. You know, like that's such a misrepresentation of what actually happened. What do you want? It seems like part of it. It's almost not even about AOC. It's like she's an easy target, obviously, for like Fox News already. But it seems like the underlying message to him framing that that way is almost saying that it's these leftist people who are in control, who are who are politicians or in yeah. government that want to shut down free speech. Yeah. And that's sort of the implication, um, yeah. you know, but not just shut it down by censoring you online, but like sending police to your house. So it's it's sort of playing into his, you know, very obviously phony, cynical framing on that and. It's interesting because we were, I think, Abby, you and I were talking about the last episode that it's obvious now that the Republicans whole removing, repealing Section 230 will amount to more Internet censorship. Just interesting that that's been sort of a dominant narrative of theirs, that they're the ones who are pro-free speech and the left isn't, when it's not really the case. Um, right. But- yeah, and that liberals liberals and and the biden administration is like running silicon valley and even though that is closer than you know trump 
aligned people running these tech companies, it's all the same, right? It's all, it's like, it's just a false sense of like, um, partisanship. It's like everyone's getting purged. That doesn't go in line with what the establishment wants you to say. And that's, we know how the hammer comes down on the left. And we know that that story is never what's highlighted in corporate media. It's always just the Trump people, just QAnon and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, what about all of these other people? What about Chavista accounts? What about China state TV? What about press TV? It's like, it's just so strange how it always just invariably hits the left almost the hardest, like the Antifa purges, but it's like no one covers that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This one guy actually that I knew from childhood found out about it, I'm assuming through Tucker, and he mm-hmm. texted me and somehow got my number texted me and said, I just heard about the whole police visitation thing. So ridiculous and absurd that they would visit you over a tweet. Outrageous stuff. The DNC weaponizing surveillance privileges is grotesque. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's just so ridiculous. And he, like, works at the Hoover Institution or whatever. Oh, my God. That's so funny. It's like a... It is funny how there's a partisan spin on that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just like... It's so weird. I'm literally like a communist. Like I see that like both parties are actively like invested in the police state and like they uphold it, you know, like I don't see this bullshit partisanship. And that's yeah, what, it's amazing like, to think the cops are like doing the bidding of Democrats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, of course that's not what's happening. That's such a ridiculous idea to even believe that. But yeah, I think that, um, I'm just frustrated with how people are trying to make it a partisan thing. Like, it's really annoying how Tucker Mm -hmm. covered it that way. And that's pretty much why I didn't go on, because I knew that it would devolve into something like that. And I would just lose control of the narrative, you know? Yeah, you didn't want to be used for anti-AOC fodder, even though you have very principled critiques against AOC that's not what this is. And that's unfortunately a lot of people took that and and used it as fuel. I tend to give AOC the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times, but it is getting harder and harder to do now that she's in her second term as a congresswoman. You know, given the fact that a month before she got elected, she did say, uh, kind of shockingly so, that, that the Great March of Return, that bloody day where 60 people were gunned down she called it a massacre and she said she hopes that her uh colleagues will have the courage to say the same thing and it seems like nothing she's ever said since then after she got elected has ever been as strong Mm -hmm. and it is really unfortunate to see years later her continue to pander to the israeli lobby when she is supposed to be the most progressive person there next to elon omar and rashida talib and it's like dude you initially said you needed to learn and that you weren't an expert on foreign policy. Well, you've had two years and the progressive except for Palestine issue is not a tenable one anymore. It -hmm. is 2021. Gaza doesn't have potable water. What are we doing here? Yeah. (laughs) What are we doing? Really? I think that if you're on the left, this should be the clearest issue to you. Um, I really don't understand how anyone can like just reject the vocabulary that we have to describe all of Israel's atrocities. Like it's an apartheid state. It's committing genocide. It's a settler colony um, that like 
is basically the U.S.'s attack dog in the region. And people, I mean, I was expecting something like way, way, way um, more tame than that from her. But even that was disappointing. And I think that um, it's just like consistent with her disappointing responses to a number of foreign policy issues. And, you know, this is why I sometimes use the term like State Department socialist, because if you are totally in line with like whatever the left most acceptable um, take on an issue is, then you're like doing the bidding of the U.S. State Department, you know? I mean, she just goes soft on Democratic leadership all the time, like whether it's with Biden's camps or with like Pelosi, just like not applying the pressure that you need to. Like, I just have such a hard time having any faith in her because um, because it really does like sheepdog people back into the Democratic Party. And that's the last thing we need to be doing right now. Like we need to be building stronger alternatives we need to be thinking outside of that box and i mean i think uh we all need to get back into the mindset that the democratic party is definitely not gonna save us in any way it, it should have been really obvious to most people you know on the left uh during the iraq war especially because they all supported it uh, practically until they, you know, just like John Kerry said, I was for it until I was, uh, I voted against it or, or something. I don't remember <laughs> what the fuck he said, but I, what's, I guess what's so interesting, Ryan, about this too, just overall zooming out from all of it, it really gives you a special, unique perspective, not just on how quickly the media sort of, uh, sort of like, you know, spread a story around based on something that happened to you, but also how you know what happened to you. And you don't have all the answers, but then to see a bunch of like people taking what happened to you and running with it and acting like they have all the answers, it, it's probably on some level just like frustrating and a little surprising, you know? Yeah, I'm, for I'm sure. sure. From your perspective. Um, I just think that like it's been really interesting seeing how everyone kind of has spun it into their own narrative, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it really feels like everyone has their own agenda and like I just want to know what the fuck happened and right. yeah um, <laughs> it makes you value actual legwork journalism when you see something like this happen because it's like you want to know what happened so how do we fucking figure that out it's almost the same process that you know a journalist would do an investigative journalist just like calling a bunch of people trying to see if anybody will whisper something to you off the mm -hmm. record i mean but and, it, and it's yeah it's fascinating um just to see I think it's what's, I guess, especially frustrating for me is just how the alternative media is just not as interested in that. What's the hot take? What will the, what will feed the algorithms? What will get the most eyeballs on your stuff? And it's like, what about the fucking truth? Yeah. What about the truth? Yeah, exactly. And you I know I've gotten requests from it. Do, it doesn't stop at Fox News. I've gotten requests from OANN. Oh. oh my and the fuck. daily dude, call on there <laughs> oh dude go oh on OAN. like ah! i just laughed when i got that message <laughs> so yeah i mean catch me on OANN. <laughs> i just wanted to offer a devil's advocate perspective because we were talking earlier about how 
you know, a lot of people who watch Tucker's program and saw his segment on this will just assume it's partisan or let the Democrats are overreaching with their surveillance and police state powers. Um, but just a devil's advocate perspective on that is that I think there is a possibility here also that the Biden administration is sort of reactivating this, you know, mid Obama term uh, Cold War 2.0 mindset where they might be giving extra scrutiny now looking at people who work for Russian media outlets. And if some of these national security officials were serious in some of those leaks, leaked uh, text conversations like Peter Strozik saying things like the Russians are disgusting, they cheated everything. Like, I think you were telling me that originally, Abby, that like, you know, there was some of these leaked text messages that came out that these people really do seem to hate. Like they, they despise Russians and the, what the Russian government is doing to a point where they probably also despise people like you and Abby by proxy. Another possibility that sort of entered my mind. I don't really know like the differences between Biden and Trump's like police policies. And I also am curious, like how much of that post capital riots shit has like been implemented now, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone was talking about all of the counterterrorism stuff and AOC did send out like a, an email to her, followers in February saying to like flag anything that's like harassment or something. So yeah, I just don't know. I think that everyone's been whipped into a frenzy post the Capitol riots. And I don't know if this is part of a larger thing with like the person who was visited after the Ted Cruz tweet. And if we're, we're going to be seeing more of this just as a, as a trend, but it's really unsettling. And I guess this is kind of what many on the left had predicted would come from the Capitol riot situation too. I was going to say, I mean, it's just hilarious that if that's the case, because people in law enforcement who are doing this must know on some level, some of them at least, that like there was an alarming and suspicious lack of police protection at the Capitol building on January 6th. And that's not explained yet of why that happened and why that was so, why they were so under-equipped under-resourced that day, that's very strange. So for them to crack down and be like, we're going to be more thorough trying to stop domestic terrorists or insurrectionists or whatever now, it's it's just a joke when you take that under consideration. Yeah, it's a funny effect for them to let the capital attack happen, not intercept anyone who is making actual threats and plotting that, you know, that they knew that we're actually going to be armed and such. Um, and then as an... <laughs> As a consequence of the capital tech, they just like start cracking out on like leftist <laughs> like critiques Who make mean on Twitter. Tweets. Like, yeah, yeah. like 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 you mentioned, Ryan, someone made another benign tweet comparable to yours about Ted Cruz and the the fucking feds came to their house. This was the same day. <laughs> you know? We know that there are multiple government agencies that were that were complicit in this and people in the Pentagon. So instead of like and the fact that 
Biden's only statement after this was like, we need more bipartisanship. It's like, really? Like you have Joe Manchin being like, yeah, January 6th changed my life because I realized I need to be more bipartisan. It's like the most fucking conservative member of Congress. So <laughs> Like absurd. literally like, like impeding any, not him obviously, but he's just like a fucking sitting Republican, has the audacity to call himself a fucking like liberal. And then he said January 6th made him realize he needs to pander more to conservatives because he realized that so many people want this fissure in society and that that they want to like you know that they will go to such extreme lengths because they're so unhappy it's like that's your fucking reaction to the capital attack dude <laughs> like how is this even real how is this real you know i don't buy that this is like any sort of uh trying to prevent anything like that from happening again we know how to prevent it from happening again they they had all the resources at their disposal and they chose not to use them yeah yeah i mean now that we're talking about it more and more, I just feel like it had to be a personal thing. Uh, yeah, that you mean where you were targeted and they yeah. knew that you didn't make the death threat and they just wanted to yeah. fuck with you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's probably a good assumption. When the FBI came to visit me, they admitted uh, you know, very early on in our discussion that we didn't do anything illegal, yet they kept me around... Uh, and wanted to talk to me for about an hour. And it did seem like the whole thing was just designed to threaten me and just intimidate me. You know, mm. they surprised me at my house. Uh, they showed up at my front door. I had no idea how they even knew who I was. I hadn't talked to anyone in the press at all about the beheading video. Uh, yeah. It was just a very strange, shocking scenario. They must have been surveilling me on some level. Yeah. Or look through my internet logs. I don't even know. That That just leads me down to that other question of like so why what pol motivated it politically um but it's not going to stop you you're you're an incredible advocate for justice you are a very amazing truth teller you have i'm so happy that you have these projects that you're now channeling all of your political energy into um so ryan i'm i'm just so happy that it's not going to impede anything that you're doing at all and you're just going to keep doing exactly what you're doing this has to have the opposite effect and we have to keep using these instances to just do exactly what we're doing right and speak out because shining a light on what happened to you will hopefully prevent it from happening to anyone else and putting such a negative spin and negative attention on on this will hopefully cause some of these people who who do call for things like defunding the police you know the squad and and progressive members of Congress to come out and actually speak against this sort of draconian overreach of the police because, um, and, and we just have to keep it up and you have to keep it up and you've been doing a great job. And, um, I know it must've not been easy to go through what you did, Ryan. And, and I, I, uh, salute ya. I Thank salute you. everything that you do. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's definitely not going to stop me. Um, I know that's what they want it to do. And so I'm not going to give that to them. Yeah, man. I mean, just, uh, just, you know, take care of yourself. Um, I know how, well, I don't want to make about me again. I'll just cut this. <laughs> uh, it's obviously a very traumatic situation for you. Um, completely feel for what you went through and, uh, yeah, I mean, let's just hope this doesn't happen to very many more people. Um, and if it does, then I think then we'll know that something is definitely, politically motivated by what happened to you i think yeah. we can guess that on some level it was 
even if it was just someone you trying to frame you or someone who reported you, it seems like it was politically motivated. So right, right. We just simply do not know, and that's what's so frustrating about this. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some answers eventually. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for talking, you guys. I really appreciate your support and your coverage of this. So it means a lot. Well, come on anytime, man. Yeah, no, we love you. You're an amazing friend, Ryan, and we're happy to have you on anytime. And we've been wanting to have you on anyway, just because you have all these new projects going on. So everyone check out Ryan's work at Queer a la Mode on Twitter. I love how all these conservative pundits have been like saying your Twitter <laughs> handle. <laughs> like, so funny. <laughs> that's been like a very funny aspect of this. But um, yeah, so Left Bitches Who Are Right is the podcast. Soapbox yep. is the network. A spin report. Check it out. Follow Ryan. Um, and thank you so much, Ryan, for everything that you do. Cool. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. B. Take care, Ryan. Hey, this is Robbie. Please consider donating. $5 a month or per creation at patreon.com slash Thanks.